everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of And Then an Aeroplane, a Ghibli movie podcast. I am, as always, your host, Allison Autumn June, and I'm joined by Em. Hello. It's time to talk about movies. I have had the intrusive thought, uh, total whisper of the heart, in my head for three days. Mm, That's unfortunate. (laughs) I can't stop myself from thinking it. Uh, I guess that means we're watching the 1995 film Whisper of the Heart, which I just had to read a page for and have lost. <laughs> oh, you mean Mimi o Sumaseba, or If You Listen Closely. That's really good. The title card on this movie was really good. <laughs> yes. Um, weird thing to just... I was watching it today, I was like, oh, I gotta get a screenshot of that. Anyway. Um... Yeah, so Whisper of the Heart came out in 1995. It was the first and only film directed by um, Yoshifumi Kondo, uh, who, according to Wikipedia at least, was like being like, I want to say groomed, but that always feels like a gross word, but like being set up to be the like next successor to Takahata and Miyazaki. And, yeah, he had um, been a animation director on prior movies so he'd been like if you look through his credits it's like key animation on this favorite movie of yours key animation on this other thing like he's been like really integral um in all these movies so far and like watching this movie you can absolutely see why like they decided that uh he um should be like the next lead guy because this is a good fucking movie (laughs) Oh, we should and mention, the reason this is his only movie is, uh, in yes. 1998, he, uh, died of an aortic dissection, uh, at 47, and a doctor said was brought about by overwork because anime is a hell industry. Yeah, uh, before we recorded yesterday, I was looking up, like, um, Urasawa quotes about, like, people need to work, uh, work less in this industry, and I, I was just feeling very sad about, uh, a lot of different animators and mangaka who died prematurely. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, do do you want to summarize the movie? Do you want me to summarize? The oh movie? sure. I should mention this is based on a manga by Aoi Hiragi. Uh, I don't think that's available in English, unfortunately, because I'd really like to read it. Um, and written by Hayao Miyazaki, which I uh, I think we'll talk about a little bit because I think the script is the worst part of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which um. otherwise I, I would say I liked very much. But uh, yes, the plot is uh, Shizu Tsukishima is a 14-year-old student. Uh, she's going to school with her best friend and the boy that her best friend likes, but clearly he likes her and they're just having a plain old normal average anime love triangle going on. No one has admitted any feelings to anybody. Um, and she just goes around during summer vacation, reading as many books as possible, uh, trying to get good with her. Like, she just wants to read books. That's all she cares about. She loves fiction. Um, her dad works in the library and she's always coming in and bothering him and getting new books, breaking into the school library after school is out to get books, not breaking in, but she convinces the teacher to Mm -hmm. let her in. Um, and she's noticed that most of the books she checks out have been checked out by a mysterious person called Seiji Amasawa. And she's like, Hmm, I wonder who this guy is that keeps checking out every book I read. Uh, and gets like these romantic notions in her head. Um, at the same time, she keeps running into this obnoxious boy on a bicycle because we've all seen Sailor Moon. We know that these are absolutely <laughs> the same person. I'm glad that you mentioned it because I could not get that out of my head. 
Yes, he might as well be wearing the purple p- p- pants that uh, Mamoru Chiba wears. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, and they have a very, like, immediately grumpy relationship. She's working with her friend on, like, writing songs for, uh, like, a school vocal performance, doing a Japanese version of Country Roads. Um which she's fiddling with the lyrics of. She makes like a funny version called Concrete Roads because they live in the suburbs of Tokyo. In Tama, uh, you might know as the place that uh, has been paved over the entire raccoon, uh, you know, living space of last movie. Uh, here mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never comes up. It's just the reality of the situation. Um and uh anyway uh she's just kind of you know being a young girl running around and she finds a cat who she's like this is gonna take me on an adventure like a storybook and the cat takes her to an antique shop which is run by this old man named shiro and a statue of a cat uh like in a fancy suit uh who he identifies as the baron um she talks with them turns out that the guy who runs the shop is the grandfather of seiji uh who is training to make violins and he wants to go uh to italy to study to apprentice to be a violin maker but his family his parents don't want him to but his grandfather's all for it and in meeting him and talking to him he convinces her that she should work on things that she's passionate about um right before he leaves on like a two-month uh trial apprenticeship to see if it's a thing he really wants to do and she decides that what she's going to do is write stories because people seem to like her uh you know the lyrics she wrote um seiji was like keep writing it's good for you you know you want to go for a dream you should go for a dream and so she gets really wrapped into writing basically a novel in these two months nanowrimo is here in 95 <laughs> uh she forgoes like all of her high school entrance exams and her parents are worried and she's not sleeping and it's just a mess as she writes the story about the Baron, um, you know, she gets permission from the shop owner to write the story. And it's it's a magical story about a girl and the Baron who go on mystical adventures that reminded me a lot of Witch Hat Atelier, which is a manga that me and Autumn both really like. Um, That's a good poll. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, as she does that, she finishes the story. She brings it to the old man. The old man tells the story of the Baron, which he found in Germany during the war. Germany? Yes? Yes. Right before the war. Right before the war. Uh, he was in Germany, and he found this statue and wanted it, but the shopkeeper wouldn't let him take it because it was part of a pair uh, with another statue of like a woman cat. Then They were lovers, and you couldn't separate them. And the woman he was with promised to take uh you know ownership of the girl cat statue when it was done being restored and when they reunited uh after the war the statue would be reunited and it would be great uh unfortunately the war was of course world war ii went longer than and was more difficult than anyone would have anticipated and they never reunited and neither did the baron and uh the other statue um she hears all the story um say uh seiji comes back from his thing uh she's she tells him about the story everyone's very impressed and happy with each other and then he asks her to marry him and uh she says yes once they're once they finish uh high school and he finishes his 10-year apprenticeship making violins they'll be reunited and they watch the sunrise together and everyone lives happily ever after the end this is like the most romantic movie i think we've seen so far and like Three different meanings of that word. 
you know? Mm, I think in terms of, like, the, you know, Webster's Dictionary number one romance, I think Only Yesterday is more romantic to me personally, but I understand why okay. you'd say that. That's fair. I just, I also mean it in the, like, like, everything is portrayed as just, like, the most beautiful, ideal version of itself. Yes. Like, um, everyone's very carefree and very kind to each other and, like... It is, it is, I mean, Kiki also kind of had this thing going on where just, um, I guess it's very, like, everything is very idealized, Is it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But the thing is that I like this movie a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, the thing I would say about that is, like, these characters are young, right? They're both 14. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of life ahead of them. The only yesterday characters being adults, I feel like gives their romance like a weight to it that I, as someone who is in their thirties, does not necessarily imbue 14 year old love with, especially in a movie that's already like, she's told the story of we were in love and then we parted and we never came back together again. And we live in, I live in this gray sadness the rest of my life. And then the same thing happens to her. And she's just like, yeah, sign me right up. Let's do this. <laughs> And maybe it'll be yeah. fine for them. And like the movie definitely doesn't play it as like she's falling into the same traps. It, it just is optimistic about these things. Uh, but the reality situation is they're 14, right? Like, uh, like on some level it is, it is nice and precious and good because it is young and uncomplicated and hasn't gone through what will ha- eventually probably happen. Even if they do get together, it will be rough and it'll be rocky and it'll be difficult. Um, mm. We don't have to see any of that here, uh, which to me, you know, as someone a little older takes a little of the shine off the romance only yesterday is like a mess right like she she was like do yeah. i stay do i go they argue about it it's very sad she goes she decides to leave and then changes her mind on the train uh that to me speaks so much to like more of my experience of romance as an older person um but i don't disagree with you it's very good yeah um like i i had the experience of being like 15 years old and the very first person i dated was like no we're going to get married and we're going to go run away from our parents and like this that and the third and it was like there's almost like this there's almost a very cute like naivety naivete naivete about this movie um of like of course life is not so simple of course like you know maybe maybe they do get together and 10 years from now like they just have some other new conflict they could never have foreseen when they were like 13 years old you know um but it makes it like a very easy film to watch it feels so breezy and light and so just like i just want to smile through so much of this movie um even though oh when i like take a step back i'm like Hmm, that's really not how I see the world at all. It doesn't make me sour on the movie at all. No, no, no. This isn't like a Kiki thing where you're like, what this is implying is kind of insidious when you think about it for more than three minutes. It's just Mm -hmm. sweet in the way that like young love should be sweet and uncomplicated. Like it's nice. It's it's nice to have a movie that is just heartwarming and leans into it and embraces the potential that like... I don't feel very often, right? Like it's good because it reminds me that you could just have the emotions and not the complex relationship with like living that happens when these people are twice as old as they are now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was I I was almost worried because um, I think like in the 
later parts of the film where it starts to be about like what it's like to be a creative and she's um she's not sleeping she's staying up till 4 a.m writing every night and just working until she collapses like it almost it almost felt a little like weird and bad knowing like this is almost certainly something that um kondo was putting himself through yeah uh, i was worried that that feeling would overwhelm the movie for me and it luckily hasn't but it is also like I guess it puts a little small damper on my overall like affection for the movie. Yeah. Uh, if before we get too into that, do you want to go through voice cast stuff? Oh, I totally forgot that segment. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you were just doing it before we started. Uh, so the dub of this movie, unlike many of the ones we've covered before, comes from the heady year of 2006. Spirited Away had come out, been really big. Uh, Disney was in the market of selling dubs of this movie, like of these movies on DVDs for people. So they put the money in, in a way that maybe those early 90s ones we've covered did not. Uh, I did not revisit the dub this time. You did. You said it was perfectly good, right? Yeah, um, Nora and I watched it together a couple days ago, and it's just, like, perfectly serviceable. Um, there, The only thing of note was the... It was kind of interesting how they approached Country Road, because... Um, oh, right, they're not, obviously. They don't just sing, like, the lyrics as John Denver wrote them. They translate it back from Japanese into a new song, which is that's kind of interesting. interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out. Uh, anyway, voice cast. There's a lot of characters here. Uh, I grabbed a bunch of people. Um, I might not cover all of them because not all of them are super interesting here, but I will cover the ones of note. So Shizuku, our main character here in Japanese is voiced by Yokohona. We've seen her before. She is the fifth grade Taiko in Whisper the Heart. Oh, um, she is Nagisa or Cure Black in Futari Wa Pretty Cure, which is a show I like a lot. Um, she is Sumeragi Lee Noriega in Double O Gundam, which I will watch in like three years. <laughs> uh, and she is Lalako Godspeed in Space Patrol Luluko, which is a very good short trigger show that I like a lot. Um, in English, she is voiced by Brittany Snow. Uh, she was on Guiding Light from during the late '90s and early aughts. She was in all pitch three Pitch Perfect movies. She was in the Hairspray musical, and she was also the voice of Naminé in Kingdom Hearts two specifically. Okay, because I've definitely seen her face and could not place her. I know the faces of most Kingdom Hearts voice actors because that's the person I am. That's probably how I know Britney Snow. Uh, Seiji uh, is voiced in Japanese by Issei Takahashi. Uh, he was on only yesterday's additional voices. He had a bunch of like just actor credits, which is hard when it's Japanese media because I know a lot about anime. I don't know a lot about notable Japanese media that is like live action. Um, there's a lot of just actors in this cast, um, which makes sense. Uh, but the one notable thing is he is in Shin Godzilla as the Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, very funny, especially if you've seen Shin Godzilla. <laughs> Good movie. Uh, in English, he is voiced by David Gallagher. He is Simon Camden on Seventh Heaven, which is a show I've never seen. And the voice of Riku in Kingdom Hearts. Oh. <laughs> very Kingdom Hearts voice cast suddenly. Yes. I guess, I guess Disney in 2006. That makes sense in a way that I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Um... The, the mom, Asako, uh, in Japanese, she's with Shigeru Mori. She's, like I said, just an actress. A bunch of roles, but nothing that I knew. In English, she's voiced by Jean Smart, who was in Garden State in 24, Fargo. She's in that Watchmen show that came out last year. People seem to like. Um, the dad, 
uh, whose uh, voice actor's name Takashi Tachibana. I couldn't find anything about other than apparently he might be a politician or there's a politician with the same name who is, seems to be the founder of a party that seems weirdly like, are these people like a, a, a cult? I can't tell. <laughs> there's not a lot of there's not a lot of information uh, available in English, but the name is the Party to Protect the People from NHK, which is like the the big national network in Japan, like TV network. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> I thought I was I was really curious because I thought the dad was like a particularly good voice because he's just got this very like soft like calm dad voice like oh he's grown up with all these very strong like women in his family and he's just like very quiet and measured about it. It's a good voice. Mm-hmm. Um, in English, he's voiced by uh, James Sicking, who is known for Hill Street Blues. Again, a bunch a show I never seen. Didn't watch t- live action television <laughs> growing up. <laughs> um, Shiho, the sister, is voiced by Yorie Yamashita. She was uh, just additional voices in Palm Poco. She's the aunt in Kids of the Slope, which I have not seen. Um, and then uh, in English, she's voiced by Courtney Thorne Smith, who's Georgia Thomas and Alan McBeal and Cheryl and According to Jim and a bunch of other TV roles. Uh, and then the one that really matters here, uh, Baron Humbert von Gickingen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, the cat himself who shows up briefly in the, you know, rendition of her story that she is writing. Um, in English, in Japanese, he's voiced by Shigeru Tsuyuguchi, who just seems to be a very prominent actor. Uh, but in English, uh, they got Carrie Elways for this, uh, which is surprising. <laughs> he is Wesley in The Princess Bride. He's Robin Hood in Robin Hood Men in Tights. He's Dr. Lawrence Gordon in Saw. He's in a bunch of other things, but those are the, those are the three I think of first, and they were the main ones on Wikipedia, so... He's his very, like, charming Carrie Elwes self. Like, you yes. can imagine exactly the performance he gave. Like, it's the same character he does in Princess Bride, and Princess Bride's a good movie, so, like, it works. Mm-hmm. I assume that they went for, like, the big casting for him, knowing that, you know, like, Cat Returns was already out, right? Like, when they made this. So they knew they were doing the other movie also, and it makes sense, because he's a much bigger role in that, I think. I should check. Oh, yeah, he, he reprises the yes, role he in does. Cat Returns. Yep. So, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, Just looking at the cast for Cat Returns and getting excited now, but I won't spoil why. Yeah. Um, Ashley Tilsdale is in this, in the dub uh, cast as uh, um, Shizuku's friend Yuko. Uh, She's in High School Musical, which is a series that I liked a lot. A little after my time, but I did circle back around and watch it, and I thought it was very good. I mostly think of her uh, from Zack and Cody because I was the exact age where... Yeah, see, I missed that one entirely, but I did circle back around for High School Musical because I like musicals and people I knew liked it. And so uh, she's great in that. She plays the best character, Sharpay. Oh, for sure. For sure. I did not like uh, High School Musical as a kid, but like Sharpay's great. Anyway... Totally far afield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just wait for our next podcast all about High School Musical. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's um, all the cast I got. I, you know, a big cast here. Um, so we were talking about creativity. Yes. Um, and I mentioned, like, basically, she goes through NaNoWriMo in two months here. And literally the way in which she throws herself into Abandon feels so antithetical to the things the movie is also like advocating for like um 
when when uh Seiji tells her that she should like he pursue something she believes in, like he's a person who's going to school, he's a good student, he takes care of his grandpa, he plays music, he makes music, they run classes. Like he's he's busy, he does a lot of things, right? And mm. she only sees the thing that she has like romantically like labeled him as, oh, this magical violin maker, just like the photograph in the book that I'm reading, or the like woodcut print of the guy in prison making violins. Um which is uh, apparently that image was created by Miyazaki's son, the woodcut, <laughs> oh, who, who was an engraver specifically for the movie. <laughs> huh. Which is uh, which is great. Anyway, um, she just like takes that and runs with it in a way that's like so unhealthy. And the thing I like is that Seiji and um, and uh, what's the old guy's name? Uh, Shiro both tell her like you shouldn't be doing this. Like this is not this is not the way, <laughs> because mm. the overwork is bad. Like it, it d- destroys her school career. It makes her parents worry. She's making herself sick. Like her sister literally moves out because she's like my sister's weird now, and I feel like it might be my fault. I don't know. It's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it it feels like a the movie really wants you to buy into a false dichotomy of she can either focus on her schoolwork or do NaNoWriMo. Um, and I mean, she definitely believes that. I don't think the movie believes that. Um, it just feels like, Hmm. It feels like the two things are really set in opposition. And I guess maybe because it's, they're so opposed for her. Yes. That's why I bought into it. It just feels like, it is portraying that in a somewhat positive way, even though it is also like she's falling asleep on the floor. Like, oh, that's like a sweet thing that like young people do sometimes. Yeah, that um, is. Th- this is this is the part that's romantic in like the second definition of the word, right? Right. Um. And I gu- I guess it's like really interesting because I didn't quite know what to make of it because it is like contrasted against her mom going back to school for her master's or her doctorate um, and her older sister like being set on a path like a very traditional like you go to school you go to college you work a part-time job till you can find a full-time job etc yeah um well, I think it's interesting because she, come she comes from, like, a very studious family, right? Like, her mother's getting her master's. Her dad's a librarian. Uh, they live in a house that is just packed with stuff. Like, there's just books and papers all... And not in, like, not in like a like a gross, like, these people are slovenly way, but in a... These are people who just are busy and have a lot of things they're interested in. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just packed to the gills all over the place. Um, in a way that a lot of the spaces we've seen in these movies, and just in, like, anime in general, typically are not, like... These people are into their books and into their hobbies in a very extreme way. Um, and so, like, the part where, like, her dad's permissiveness being like, okay, you clearly care about this thing. I'm just going to let you do it for now. Be careful. Don't, you know, take care of yourself. And we can talk about it when you're through with whatever your quest is. If you think this is that important, go for it. Um, it's interesting because, like, yes, it's a negative, but also, like, everyone in the house is doing this to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like the mom comes in and is exhausted and is working on stuff. The, the sister has been drafted to help with her mom's research um, and does that happily. Like they're all working on stuff all the time. Like 
you know, Shizuku has been relegated to oftentimes delivering lunches and making sure breakfast is cleared off because everyone else has gone and busy, right? So when she mm-hmm. asks for the time, I think it's like generous that her father gives it to her. I think the way in which he does it is definitely like, if this if this was like 10% more of a problem, this would be a bad thing to do as a parent. It definitely straddles a line of you have, you're allowing this child to do too much self-destruction, but she is like, She's not like actively malicious. She's doing a little poorly in school for two months, but it's not like she's flunking, right? Mm-hmm. It's weird. It definitely straddles the line. Yeah, it's very much like it's almost like the childhood that like I think a lot of people wish that they had, where like, oh, my parents encourage me to um, pursue my creative things, and it's being set against like Yuko going to cram school and like. Um, it, it, it almost feels like, um, Shizuku ends up in a, like, you really can have it all sort of place where like, she ends up, I think, still doing okay on her high school entrance exams. I think that's how that goes. Um, like, I almost felt like some jealousy watching it just because it's, um, but also not, I don't know. It's hard to like put into words in some ways. Um. Well, we all want parents that are going to allow us to be our best selves and be supportive, whatever we choose to do. Right. Like, right. Right. (laughs) Um, I guess, yeah, I was really struck by like, and I mentioned this briefly earlier. It is a movie where everybody is always doing their best for each other. Um, because like, and I, I was thinking of this because there's a handful of moments, like, there is a very brief interlude um, of the dad, like, walking up the stairs to get to the house and, um, like, letting a lady pass him on the stairs, which is, like, a totally unnecessary inclusion in the movie. There's another thing like this where the mom is, like, giving fruit to the neighbors. Like, it doesn't actually do anything, but it creates a world where is being very kind to each other at all times. Um and I think it allows the, like, um, sweetness of everything. Um, it, it, it lets it get away with how sweet everything is. Yeah. Um, For sure. I don't disagree with that. And it certainly, like, aestheticizes a certain level of, like, struggling, like, aspirational, like, lower class living right like their apartment is very small it's very messy it's nice but it's messy nice and like she literally is a lo-fi beats to study to girl multiple times this movie like there's one shot of her studying that's literally used on one channel Mm -hmm. that has three million views called chilled tide beats lo-fi hip-hop study music (laughs) you can go listen to it right now um because i saw the shot i was like oh shit that's one of those lo-fi i literally (laughs) used that channel while reading before um and so it's it's just like these like they are living the sort of like bohemian's not the right word but a very like like romantic life in which you know everyone pursues their interests the best of their ability and you just make enough money to get by and you hope things work out and we're both bedroom podcasters we live that life every day <laughs> <laughs> um 
Like I definitely vibe to like, this is like aspirationally the world, like the house I want to run and, and do often run and like the, the life I want to lead it. Like maybe mm -hmm. it doesn't pan out, but you try your best on the things you believe in and you do it minimal with your, you know, you get a paycheck enough to survive on and then you can just pursue your interests. And I feel like on that level, it's like really enchanting to see a whole family operate that way. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I want more than to live in like, you know, a two or three bedroom apartment and just have every wall be a bookshelf. Like that's just like the ideal life for me. I don't know if that's like a realistic thing that will ever happen, but like it feels nice to see <sighs> on a screen. <laughs> we've got, we've got like six separate bookshelves that are just full in this house. <laughs> so, uh, live in that life. Um, it's, uh, there's, um, I guess speaking of like, I have a thought and I'm, it's almost connected and I don't know how to like transition into it, I guess. That's fine. Um, you can just give it. Yeah. Going into this movie, I, because of the poster and because of a couple different clips I've seen, I really mm -hmm. thought that it was going to be spirited away. I thought that it was going to be like, specifically in the scene where she starts following the cat to the antique shop. Um, yes. I thought like she was going to step through a magical portal and like be in like this fantasy world for like the entire movie. And I was just like constantly shocked that that wasn't happening. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we're only, we're only what, six years away from certain away. So I definitely feel like that stuff is being like presaged here for sure. For sure. It's very easy to imagine, like, Kondo having some sort of input into that movie's production before his passing. Um, just because, yeah, like, I'll, it feels very much of a lineage. Um, also, like, um, we'll get to it when we talk about Spirit Away, but Spirit Away is, like, deeply uh inspired by like early shoujo manga and this is literally a shoujo manga like it's an mm. adaptation of one like the young girl making this passage into a magical world is like a cornerstone of the genre mm -hmm. right especially when like led by a cat you go straight into like magical girl history with stuff like that right and um it, it was it was really interesting to see the way that like it ends up not being a fairy tale because it does entirely take place in like the real world, quote unquote, but also and like the modern day real world, which is very interesting to me. Yeah. But it also like, it's, it's just a neat little trick that it's like, it's not a fairy tale because they are in like actual Tokyo, but it is very much like the plot structure of a fairy tale in any way. And it's just like, I, 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 I was just so struck by like the, I don't know that I was really just taken with how it balances like the way that she has to grow up and put fairy tales in the past a little bit, but also like fairy tales can be part of her future. Um, yeah. Expressed in like a different transformative way, right? Like right. actively embracing the things she takes from them and using them to like, you know, as like inspiration. Mm hmm. Uh, one of the things I really like about this, uh, and it's like a really small bit because the, the, it, it's not a huge scene is her, like we talked about her family's apartment. She goes over to her friend Yuko's house, like, you know, two thirds away in the movie. And her friend Yuko lives in a Ghibli house. Yeah. It is like European and elegant. And they have like tea and Pocky on like a, like with like a beautiful European tea set in her very like, you know, continental Europe inspired room. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And it's like really jarring because Yuko is like an extremely like modern, like lower middle class Japanese character. And also like, because we're so used to seeing that in Ghibli films, also in Yuko's room is like just a mid nineties cassette player with like a doily on top of it <laughs> in the background. And it's so jarring to me to see those things like mesh together. Uh, like seeing the Ghibli aesthetic expressed through like this family's like has more money and has more pretense. Uh, but they're still just going to be like the piece of technology that a teen girl would have in her room, but she's going to throw a nice little lace doily on top of it. <laughs> yes. Um, seeing the like laptop in, um, uh, oh, it's a word processor. It's not even a laptop. It's like an old-fashioned word processor right. that they're Seeing using, that and they talk about was it. So yes. jarring and just, just heartwarming. Um, and also, yes. yeah, Yuko lives it like right next door to Usagi. Like as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it is like the same type of place, just with like very very Ghibli decor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Shizuku lives in like a fourth floor walk up with like a mud, like her neighbor is like an old lady, right? Like it's mm. people on like smaller incomes and it's like a slightly more rundown place and it's nice, but they're definitely the like big project apartments that you, that like the Tanuki went and yelled at at the end of Pompoko, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember just like it was so funny in the, very last shot of the movie when they're looking out over the like Tokyo landscape I I had mostly not been thinking about Pompoko during this movie but it is like the the moment where it is like oh look how beautiful Tokyo is that it was like I really have to like take your last movie into account here guys <laughs> like yeah, uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about, like, the structure of the movie is it takes place, like, from summer into, like, summer break into winter, mm-hmm. and it's really gradual, but you see, like, the very beautiful summertime give way to, like, rainy season into everyone now has coats and you can see their breath, and it's, like, very conscious of the role that the natural world and weather plays, even though it mostly takes place inside of houses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was like it's a very like conscientious touch to put this in this setting and not forget these people are like living in this world and it will stop and like let you see like today is a very rainy day everyone's got their umbrellas and uh, today everyone finally broke out the scarves. Yeah, um, the credit sequence of the movie is like a static shot of um, one bridge um, and just like people in Tokyo like walking over it and the seasons changing and mm-hmm. it doesn't like contribute to the movie in some way but it does feel like just a really good like animation flex that i like had to watch all of <laughs> what's really good i mean uh, you get you get yuko and sugimura ho- hooking up at the very end of it it's good oh yeah i forgot about that oh um, yeah it's very funny how the movie totally forgets about sugimura at a certain point um that's because he does not matter <laughs> he does not it's just it's so funny how for a lot of the movie um like the the love triangle feels like it will just eclipse everything like it is your whole entire world and then in the way of like teenage the way that teenagers do like oh that thing doesn't matter to me anymore anymore i haven't thought i haven't thought about sugimura in a week you know have you have you ever seen the girl who left through time no 
those sort of film. Okay. Gorilla Through Time is basically a movie about these three characters. If none of the rest of the movie existed, like that, that very like tense love triangle, it's its own weird thing and is like a sci-fi time travel plot also, mm-hmm. but it starts with like this setup and just focuses on it in a way that's really interesting. It's worth watching. It's a very good movie. I was, I was put in the mind of uh, Ocean Waves in part because of the love triangle and in part because of the like, you know, Tokyo and just a hundred like brands and street signs and like concrete yes. things. And this, I feel like this movie is definitely less like vaporwave than that one, unfortunately. unfortunately. The one thing that Ocean Waves does have for it is that it's a, uh, I know it's like the one that everyone but me thinks is terrible, but it does have extreme aesthetic in a way that none of these other movies are going to ever have. I was screaming at the TV a few times, uh, get fucked, Ocean Waves. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's fine. It's fine. Um, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. It's not even like that bad. It's just that it's not nearly as good as any of the others we've watched for this podcast. I I don't even think it's the worst Ghibli movie, but you know whatever. Um, the the music in this movie was really remarkable. I thought um, it was like um, because it's not Joe Hisaishi. Uh, it really has its own identity in a way that like few of these other films have had other than ocean waves. Um, yeah. Uh, it is uh Yuchi Nomi who we'll see again in the cat returns, but I think of him as the uh, composer of Nichijo, which is the best anime ever made by science. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I've seen five episodes of Nichijo and would agree that it's the best a- anime. I don't even need to see the rest of it though. I should. <laughs> You should. It's really good. <laughs> um. And it does have that very eclectic sense. Like, there's bits that, like, almost go back to, uh, like, the Nausicaa style of very heavy, like, like techno music. Uh, but in the context of, like, this very soft slice of life movie, and then, like, when it gets to the fantastical parts, it's, like, the very traditional, like, orchestral Ghibli score. Mm-hmm. It's just good. It's it's very eclectic and very fun. Um, it, the, the, it's, like, the way it does mystery, like, when she's first discovers the shop and the stuff around the Baron oh, is all yeah. really good. Like, yeah. The, like, and I think you briefly mentioned with, like, the, um, when she's so mad at seiji at first and he she's like walking home screaming jerk 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 and someone's just going yes. real hard on the slap face <laughs> like it's yes. good yes oh um, uh, that part's great i love it um what else well, anything about the actual story she writes? Uh, the part where she delivers to that old man this handwritten novel. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to just sit down and read a handwritten novel? I don't think I could do it. I think my eyes would literally fall out of my head. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is the sweetest person in the entire world because he's really trying to just be like, I'm going to read it tomorrow. I'm going to read it over the next few days. Oh, Okay, if you insist, I will read it tonight. I would just be like, no. No, I am not doing this. Yes. I will try to read it this week. And then he, he's so sweet because he's not going to like lie to her. He's like, it's rough. It's unfinished. It's your first book that you wrote in like two sleepless months. But also it seems to have actually like, I think probably like the story of these two young people falling in love is what's like actually like affecting him more than the novel. But I like to imagine that her novel like is going to grow up and become like a good novel at some point. 
Yeah. I mean, the thing with the scene, the little, the few scenes that we do see of like the, the Baron escorting like the young protagonist floating through these clouded cities is interesting in that it, uh, <laughs> is, is dog going to be all right? Yeah. Dog's all right. Dog's just going outside. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, is that it clearly, it almost certainly comes from the actual manga and is supposed to be a, like a, like, pastiche of like shoujo tropes but it also is a pastiche of every other ghibli movie we've seen so right, far right right it's like and a pastiche of like future ghibli films like it's fucking amazing yes. <laughs> yeah it just like immediately pins down everything that like is marvelous the first time you watch a ghibli movie and when you see like them in like your 20th you're like oh here we go again uh mysterious figure gonna lead this girl through a magical wonderland through flight mm-hmm. it's it's super fucking good. <laughs> yes. Um, it, yeah, I, I already mentioned it. It just, like, works so good as, like, a... F- I really thought it was a fake-out, and I think it's only because, like, every time you, like, see someone do, like, best 10 Ghibli films on YouTube or whatever, they're, like... Like, they only show those scenes, so I thought that's just what mm-hmm. the whole movie was. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird, because, like... I forgot, like, I looked at the poster, I'm like, I don't remember any of this from this movie <laughs> on the cover of the Blu-ray, because uh, I remember the stuff about, like, you know, young girl and the violinist and it, it being about country roads being sang 30 times or whatever, <laughs> and that's the stuff I held on to, not the part where, because I remember the cat being alive, but in The Cat Returns, not in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm really... I guess um, the person who did the manga wrote the manga for The Cat Returns, which... Yes. Watching the movie, I was like, wait, so why exactly does The Cat Returns exist at all? And I guess it's just they really liked that manga and wanted to do another adaptation of that person to work, it sounds like. Um, Yeah. Because at first I was like, who watches this movie and is like, yeah, I need more of The Cat? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you know... It was a very popular movie, for what it's worth, but yes. It was more, I think, just like, well, we have this cool cat character. There's a sequel to this manga. Might as well do it, right? Right. Um, I'm, I'm imagining, like... I, I was just reminded of how only yesterday, like, the manga is only the kid parts, and they came up with the um, adult parts, like, for the film... And I was just suddenly imagining, like, what was that? What if that was true of this? What if, like, the manga was just the cat returns and they came up with, like, the whole love story as a frame device for the cat returns? Oh, you know what? I'm reading this on Wikipedia. We'll save this for the cat returns uh, happens, but the story behind why this movie exists is wild. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. I will not read this because I'm curious. Yeah, now, don't, don't, I will read, not don't read, read it this. on the air. Yeah. You can, listeners, you can look it up and get spoiled, but we'll talk about it in, you know, two months. Um. Oh, you, you mentioned that you didn't like Miyazaki's script on the movie. I was curious if you wanted to expand on that at all, because I thought it, I just didn't notice it. So, while I think this movie is, like, really well acted, like, cannot emphasize enough how well the acting is, and I think the visual direction is really good. I think it's, like, the personal flourishes of, like, Takahata's directing with Miyazaki's big bombast, mm-hmm. right? Like it does both exceptionally well, um, without being soul destroying like every Takahata movie is. <laughs> um, I think like the 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 script itself is like sometimes can edge into the saccharine, and it has all this this nebulous good feeling, but like 
insubstantial stuff that we talked about like should her parents actually let her write a novel for two months and let her just go and do that like it feels mm. messy uh like it ending very jubilantly on these 14 year olds pledging to marry each other in 10 years not mentioning the fact that this is not dissimilar to what happened to the grandfather and you know his girlfriend before world war ii uh it just feels like just like full of gaps and like thoughtless in a way that I find mm. surprising. It, it does not hold together in the way that like a, some of the tighter scripts that we've covered hold together. And it's fine. I like the movie a lot. It's like it's firmly in like the middle of the Ghibli movies you've covered for me. And visually, I think it's like top three mm. easy, but um, it's just surprising to me uh, how much it like the stuff that works works given that I think there's a lot of stuff that just feels kind of slapdash. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the ending and like, you know, I mentioned that like, I really love how it is both a fairy tale and not a fairy tale at the same time. The ending being mm -hmm. like, they're going to get married felt a little too like, you can do happily ever after without having these two 14 year olds like pledge to marry each other. Like, I feel like, I feel like there was an, a better way to get there that was more, I don't even know if I need it to be nuanced, but like that wasn't over the top in the way that like that last line was, um, especially yeah. because it's like that last line and then smash cut to music. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, Which, you know, the ending was just like the least remarkable part. Like the ending being kind of lackluster didn't like outshine the rest of the movie for me. Yes. I don't necessarily think you need anything more than he's out of the outside her window in the morning and he has the exchange where he like, I wish you would be there. And then you were, you were there. Like you heard me. That was like enough for me. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the bit of them going up the hill together, but yeah, I, but he could have just ended on that. Like, right. Like yeah. the big profession of love feels false given everything else that's happened. Um, and it's fine. Like it's a, you know, it's a movie about kids in love and I don't necessarily like dislike that it went there. It just feels like it's like, Laying it on a little thick. Yeah, for sure. Which is how I feel about Miyazaki a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I like, you know, a lot of the movies we've watched have not been particularly subtle that he has directed <laughs> and written. <laughs> uh, we are getting into, like, a long stretch of Miyazaki. No, we're not. I thought we were. No, no. <laughs> we have Takahata in, in a month and a half. Okay. I was. I forgot about Yamadas for a second, and I was like, because I thought it was just going to be three straight um, Miyazaki, but that's still not, that's not true. So, nope. okay. Nope. Yeah. All right. Um, there isn't really a big stretch that's just Miyazaki is the thing. Yeah. It always feels like there's going to be, but like, yeah, after Cat Return, it's after Cat Returns yeah, there, is. They're a three team studio in a lot of ways. Yeah. So they just keep hopping around. Okay. I thought, yeah, I guess I thought for sure we were going to get into the, like, early 2000s and it was just going to be Miyazaki forever. Um, no. Because but... it's what? Uh, Spirited Away, Howls, is Poppy Hill him? It's... Nope, that's Goro. Mm -hmm. oh. Wind Rises is him. I didn't realize that Goro did another movie after, I thought he actually did quit, like, Miyazaki told him to. <laughs> Um, and Wind Rises is the last Miyazaki movie so far, you know, how do you live? Hopefully it'll be out yeah. <laughs> by the time that we finish. Oh, um, I was scrolling through something and I just, uh, remembered I wanted to mention that in the sub one, of, uh, Toshio Suzuki is one of the voice actors, which I just thought was very cute. 
Um, mm -hmm. I would love to know more about what he does at Studio Ghibli or if he's just like the business guy because he's been producer on almost all of these movies. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, he's just one of the old musician guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay, is that it? Oh, we, should, we have a bunch of questions, so we should probably go to them if you don't have anything else. Yeah, I think I'm good. If you'd like to send questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, we have uh, four questions? Three. Three. Three questions. One of them is just really long. <laughs> uh, from Adam. Uh, thoughts on marriage proposals and middle school romances? Good? Cute? Weird? Uh, and also, what story would you write based on an inanimate object in a Ghibli movie? Um, to the first question, I feel like we kind of talked about that already. Like, I was in middle school high school once and like was absolutely convinced that i was going to marry someone like i absolutely same i same, like same, same. hit it even though like i know that's not how the world works <laughs> yes um i think given that both the characters are like roughly the same age and both very much like they seen each other for the first time in two months and they were already head over heels to each other when they parted makes sense yeah for sure i it makes sense you know um what story would you write based on an inanimate object in a Ghibli movie? What notable inanimate objects have we had? To break the timeline a little bit, I would like a story about Ponyo Ham. <laughs> I don't know what that means at all. It's just it's just the ham in, that is in the movie Ponyo. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. I just Ponyo Ham. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I have an answer for this. Maybe uh, ask me this again when we get to Spirited Away. I'm sure there will okay. be a notable inanimate object there that I've forgotten about. We have uh, some questions from Tron. Uh, did you all like the song Take Me Home Country Roads before watching this movie? Oh, absolutely. I'm a, a really big John Denver fan, actually. Um, I liked it well enough. Um, I'd forgotten that it was so in like all over this movie until right before I started watching it. I was like, oh, right, because uh, this movie has been like... Uh, or the song has just been like very like cheapened by like being in like so many commercials and stuff yeah. to me, but it is a good song. Like, I'm not here to like say the song is bad. Uh, I appreciate its use in the movie. I think like my fondness for the song is bolstered by being all over this movie. The real thing is that, um, I was living in a dorm room when the trailer for fallout 76 came out. Yeah. Which meant that. I heard a really bad cover of Take Me Home uh, like a hundred times because everybody in the dorm room was like, oh, dude, I love Fallout. I'm going to listen to this Country Roads song. And we're not even listening to the John Denver version, which is just like criminal. <laughs> Great. Uh, what is your favorite looking scene or shot in this movie? Um, hmm. 
I I agree with you that like this is like one of the most visually striking films and I that we've seen and I'm trying to pick out a very specific one that's not just like the fantasy sequences that are very obvious. Uh, the one I have uh, is there's a bit where uh, Sugimura takes Shizuku to like a shrine to confess his, or she drags him there to tell him that Yuko likes him. And then he ends up confessing his feelings of her. And there's this, these shots of just these characters, like sullenly looking away from each other in like this beautiful sun dappled, like forested area where like, there's just like the light hitting their shoulders and head through the leaves. Mm -hmm. And it's just so showy for like a quiet scene of two characters blushing furiously in opposite directions. Um, I mean, I guess it's not necessarily about the look of this scene, but, um, I, I'll just shout out that like the scene with, um, the, the scene in the antique shop where, the old guys come in and they're all playing country road together is genuinely just like one of the most touching scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I got, I was like watching a bit of the sub today and like got to that scene and just started bawling. It's so good. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, I could not stop noticing about how the cello has six strings in every shot in this movie. I was like, cello doesn't have six strings. (laughs) (laughs) Dumb thing to get hung up on, but that's how brains are, I guess. Um, is it a cello? I assumed it was like a like an upright bass or something. Maybe, but I can't think of like a stand up instrument like that that's going to have six strings. Generally, that was because like one of the guys has like a I don't remember what it's called, but like a like a Chinese lute sort of thing. Yeah, like it's, I was trying to remember what those it's a very non Western, non standard you know instrument. Yeah. So I assume that the other ones might also be like similarly, just not what you would normally find in America. Maybe, maybe I'm just being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, the one guy who just keeps out bringing out new instruments, like he switches to like a recorder. That guy is the best. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't. Um, the first time I noticed it, I was like, "Oh yeah, he just has a recorder now." The second time I noticed it, I noticed. Or the second time I watched, I was noticing like, "Oh, like here's the shot where he is." putting the tambourine away and pulling the recorder out. I'm like, I love this guy. I also love that he showed up to the house with the tambourine and the recorder. (laughs) Like, or or are these just in the basement of the antique shop? They're just in the basement. They're in the basement. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because when when she first walks upstairs with... uh with him early on they're just like they're just like in the like right in front of the stairs in like a background shot basically. Okay. Chekhov's band. (laughs) Um, have you ever had the experience of discovering a new area in a city or town where you've lived for a long time? Yeah. Um, uh, I used to go on walks a lot specifically for this purpose to like notice and see things that I had never seen. And now I live in a hell urban environment where you cannot walk anywhere or you'll get run over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is living in the Midwest. Unfortunately, everything you have to get everywhere by car. Yeah, I used to, I used to do this all the time, specifically so that I could notice things. Um, and that's just not a thing I can do. The place I live now, unfortunately. Uh, what is your most favorite doll or figure that you own? I don't own any dolls or figures. I have a stuffed animal. That counts. Yeah. That, that's a that, that falls under doll to me. I made I made a little uh, build a bear with my second girlfriend in high school, and I still have it. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a build a bear. I wish I still had my build a bear. I had a Winnie the Pooh when they briefly did those. That was just in a full like businessman suit that I made, and I I loved it so Aww. much. 
Um, I also have Nora bought me a uh, what are they called? Tarbuncles from um, Final Fantasy fourteen. When we were both playing that, she bought me a little stuffed tarbuncle that's extremely cute. Um, anyone who uh, follows me on Twitter knows that I have so many figures. <laughs> it's I just have a, a sickness. I think my favorite one that I have is actually a like a carved wooden uh, Korok from Breath of the Wild. Um, that is just adorable. It's so much. Um, it's probably my favorite. Um, let's see. I think we've answered most of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know how to play any instruments? I don't actually know this about you. I think I just answered this on a pod clips. Um, <laughs> uh, I played violin when I was. Oh, you did answer this on a. Yes. Everyone should listen to your other podcast, Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. Yeah, uh, I played violin when I was very young. I played um, guitar when I was a little bit older than that. Uh, I wish I still had any music skills at all, but uh, they have faded because that's what happens when you don't play music consistently. Yeah, I um, I played trombone in high, junior high and high school. I was pretty good at it, but they made you do marching band in school, and I hated marching band. I didn't want to march, and I didn't want to play at sporting events, so I fell off of that, unfortunately. This is, I, have, I have a... Oh, go ahead. This is exactly why I picked violin instead of, like, saxophone. <laughs> they didn't even offer stringed instruments in my school district. You have to do that privately, unfortunately. Um, I have a, a keyboard, like, full-size one, and I like... I wish I had more time to practice on it because I would really love to learn piano. Um, it's very hard to self-motivate that, mm-hmm. especially when you have 8,000 things you're doing at all times. And that one isn't for work. It's just for fun. So that means I only do it like every three weeks. I'm like, oh, time to sit down and play a little. Oh, I've forgotten everything I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent this entire week thinking about buying a drum machine for some reason. So that's where I'm at with my life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if I wanted to like, produce music i could just do that i get a program i could do that the thing i want specifically is to like relearn how to play music not for anything not to make music just to like have a hobby Mm -hmm. where i could sit down play some music i like um that's way harder than like if i just wanted to get like fruity loops or whatever people are using these days and make some music i could figure that out i can model my way through i i can't tell if you're out of touch or if I'm out of touch, because I have not heard the word Fruity Loops in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm certainly way out of touch. Every but time also, I look up, every time I look up what to use to produce music, it always comes up, even though I know it's the program from like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, which means either people are still using it or no one's used it in years. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we are recording on Audacity. Uh, some programs are just good. Some programs just work. They... I was going to complain about Audacity and how I don't have the good UI that Audacity used to have that made it look like that's because that's because you're a, a damn fool who upgraded Audacity <laughs> when you never should upgrade Audacity. I was like, sure, I'll download the new version, and I have regretted it every day since. <laughs> I haven't updated Audacity since I put it on this computer years ago. <laughs> oh. Uh, and then we have one final big email from Nora, uh, who wrote in a very nice long thing. Um, I think we've covered a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having trouble. Do you want to read the big paragraph about labor? Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I'm having trouble remembering what we've covered because I also know that Nora and I had a conversation about this at IHOP. So Nora says, 
I should also mention labor, specifically the women, with the sister and mother seemingly doing far more work than the grandpa with the antique shop or the father at the library. The grandpa even had the ability to go to Germany in his youth. There's a weird disconnect because it's so focused on the emotional burden of artistic expression with the two main characters that we don't get that kind of internality for the mom and, their, and the sister because their pursuits are more material, getting through school and attaining self-sufficiency. When we see the drawbacks for them, it's their lives being hectic and their bodies being expended, but when we see the main characters struggling with their art, it's purely the depression of not finding your story or the angst of feeling like you aren't good enough. Meanwhile, Kondo's death was caused by overwork in an artistic medium. Um, and then she goes on to talk about like just falling in love with the characters. and uh, Yeah, it's great. Nora's good. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, this is this is definitely like there. I think like to the movie's credit, it, it is aware of the fact that there are things that you can care about when you're 14 that you have to like make a tertiary concern when you were like 30, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, the mom is like haggard, comes in, still has to deal with her kids who are being rowdy and dinner, and you know the father comes in and is like, well, everyone here is struggling, and I need to be the person who can calmly sit down and talk to everyone, um, and like. The sister is trying to get out on her own and that's difficult and like typically her mom be helping her but her mom's in school and doesn't have any money um like that's this that's the stuff that uh you don't have to worry about when you're a child mm -hmm. it's it's nice i wish i also had the concerns of a 14 year old they seem much nicer generally <laughs> I almost but want... also i remember being 14 and i was fucking miserable oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i would be so good at being 14 now but at the time i was terrible I was terrible. Oh, it was it was a bad time. A lot of the a lot of the reasons it was bad were out of my control because I was fourteen and couldn't decide anything. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah. I think the movie's like aware of those tensions, but they definitely are on the screen to see, right? Yeah. The um, I almost want the like um the alternate perspective on this movie that's about the older sister. What a one of my favorite scenes in the movie was just. The older sister and the mom talking um and the mom just being like yeah i really like the idea of you moving out you know it's gonna be hard to adjust not having you around but i think once i graduate in may like i'll be able to help you pay rent if that's what you need it was just really endearing i was really invested in everything the sister was going through um and there's this yeah there's this great when she first says she's gonna leave uh the mom's like oh i finally driven you off but in like a way that is like not actually complaining it's like the thing she's supposed to say right like right. it's said very warmly like oh it's finally time you're you're old enough to want to be on your own and that is bittersweet but it's like okay we'll deal with this and it'll be good yeah they're they're going through the motions in like a good way like they're on yes. like it's exactly what the dad says that like um you know your life is going to be so um he says this to shizuku your life is going to be so much harder because you're not like on the set path that everyone follows and we see that in the sister and like she has her own struggles but like they're very normal like endearing struggles which are very different from like the struggles that shizuku is having mm-hmm Uh, and then Nora sent some questions. Uh, the first one, do you have any musical or writing experience? I know you both have a history of criticism, but how about fiction or poetry? Do you have any des desire to try? 
I was in a creative writing, uh, fiction writing class uh, for a while. It's always something I want to invest more in, but, like, I have not made any space for writing in my life in a very long time, I guess. And I don't even know how to start making that space, you know? Yeah. Um, when I played trombone back in high school or whatever, I was uh, good enough, I feel like. I, I was... Uh, first chair in the state orchestra and i worked like a little bit in like the band of the church that i was going to at the time back when i still did such things um fiction wise for a long time i wanted to be a writer from like 14 to 23 i guess mm -hmm. um and uh was just miserable i hated writing i still don't really like writing to be honest with you <laughs> but the idea of being a writer sounded fantastic and romantic and good right um and in that time like you know, I put it around and wrote short stories and I've written the first drafts of like five novels because that's what happens when you're 20 and have ambition, but no, no follow through, um, <laughs> you know, succeeded in a couple of NaNoWriMo's. Um, it feels like a different life now. And that's all I was doing. It, like the, instead of the seven things, I just did the one thing, which was read a lot and write a lot. Um, so, but that feels like, it feels like six people ago in terms of like my interiority. Right. From like age 14 to age 20, I want to say, I really wanted to be like a professional movie critic. And thankfully I have just like burned every part of that out of myself, uh, which mm -hmm. makes the idea of like, I now have to like find a new way to be a critic that is not wanting to like be a professional at that because being a professional at that sounds like a nightmare that I wouldn't enjoy. <laughs> I consider what I do semi-professional criticism. The only reason it's not professional is I'm not making enough money at it. <laughs> oh, what I very specifically mean is like writing for a, a website. Like I don't want to oh, yeah. write for a website. Like I have found the like way that I do this much more sustainable. I wish I was writing more, but I still wouldn't want to do it for like you know, I spent years being like, oh, I'm going to, like, freelance for, like, birth movies, death, and, like, Polygon or whatever, which is, like, <laughs> yeah, a yeah, no, I also to aspire to. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. I was definitely tried to break into formal movie, movie criticism in that way. Uh, what, like, right before the podcast started, really, like, 2012 or so, got very close and then just fell right off. It's a very hard thing to break into and mm -hmm. very unfulfilling for everyone in it, it seems like. Yeah. So... <laughs> No one um, I follow on Twitter seems happy at all doing that thing. Yeah. Uh, and then Nora's final question. What name would you come up with for the neighborhood's communal cat? When uh, I turned 14, I, I had a cat. I'd had a cat for a couple years, and it had to move from my mom's house to my dad's house for various reasons. Um, and when it had been living with my mom, we had all called it Kit Cat. When it moved in with dad, it just got renamed Cat Friend. Um, hmm. just by sheer force of will, my dad decided the cat's name was Cat Friend. I probably would just redub any new cat, Cat Friend. <laughs> okay, even the one in the movie, which I think is the one she's referring to. Yeah, probably that's just what okay. I would call that. <laughs> um, I think I would call it Blueberry Yogurt, because it looks like a blueberry, like the ear is a very dark blue-purple, and the cat is like a gray-purple. It just kind of looks like a blueberry and some yogurt, which I like as a food. That's cute. So. <laughs> Blueberry yogurt. Also, every name for the cat is about how, like, it is either round or large because the cat is both. <laughs> uh, 
have we seen other cats in Ghibli movies so far? This is a very cute. Like cat. cats, cats. There's been Kiki's cat. Yeah, there we go. I was like, I was trying to remember one, but like this is like such a different cat because it feels like a cat that would actually exist in some exist. Way. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. A lot of good dogs in this movie, also. Yeah, yeah. There's the one dog that is always barking at her when she goes to the antique shop, which is <laughs> yes. a really good dog. Very good, yes. like. Very good, just, like, small addition to the movie that, like, is easy to forget, but, like, does a lot in the moment. Yeah. That's all our emails. Again, podcast at abnormalmapping.com if you'd like to send any in. Next time, we are covering Princess Mononoke. It's time to finally just go through it and talk about the first Ghibli movie I saw. And the only one that I remember really not liking. <laughs> um... I, we talked about this uh, on the very first episode, but Whisper of the Heart came out shortly before I was born, and Mononoke came out shortly thereafter. Um, <sighs> it is the only Ghibli movie. It's the only Ghibli movie I have seen that I didn't like. Um, and I'm really gonna do my best to go in with like an open heart this time. Yeah, when I saw it, it was it was newly released on VHS. It, I think it was still the '90s, so it was a long time ago now. <laughs> um, and it was like I'd never like I knew what DVZ and Sailor Moon were, but that's it. Like I did not know what anime was. <laughs> um, so I I have I literally I don't remember too much about it other than it's gross and violent. Um, and little tree spirits are cute. That's what I got. I'm also extremely going to watch the sub this time. Uh. I watched the dub the other time I've seen this movie. Extremely going to watch the sub this time. Hopefully that will mm -hmm. make it better. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's time for plugs. I guess I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can find this podcast and all the podcasts at abnormalmapping.com. The one I would really love for people to listen to, we have a Patreon-guided podcast called Your Uncle's Beach House, where we watch things that our patrons have asked us to do at certain reward tiers on the Emerald Mapping Patreon. And we just put out an episode on Phoenix, uh, the Tezuka manga. We read the first four volumes. And I have to say, it is one of the most amazing pieces of fiction I've ever read. <laughs> it really just... Uh, it was great it was very it was transformative mm -hmm. it was good i the episode's pretty good you, you should read phoenix uh it's very out of print but uh you know if you know how to get a hold of manga it's get a hold of i actually think it's on comiXology maybe mm -hmm. um but you can get a hold of it if you really look around um but listen to that episode it's good i like that podcast a lot we're working i think we're recording on monday about log horizon season two which will be the day this goes up so um, we're moving. Dirty Pair's coming up. We talk about all sorts of stuff on that show. Um, but, uh, that's all I've got. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Uh, I got my pinned tweet with this podcast and export audio. I still need to update that so that it's got, uh, a podcalypse. And I keep forgetting to do that. And I've mentioned it on every podcast for the last three weeks. <laughs> um, but yeah, people should listen to a podcalypse. Um, we did episodes two and three in the break from this one and i feel like we really like found our stride in a really good way um yeah yeah the like the show is really like coming into itself and also if nothing else utana is a very good podcast is a very good anime that you should watch yeah, people people should watch uh revolution girl utana it's on youtube right now it's very soon coming to funimation which will probably have the ending which will be nice because the ed is not on 
the YouTube versions for whatever reason. And it's um, a good ED. Yeah. Um, that's a great show. People should definitely watch it if you haven't. Follow along with the podcast. Uh, I like that podcast a lot. I'm going to try to find a way to barge into that podcast at some point to guest on an episode. Yeah, uh, we, we were... Have find, we have to find an episode where Toga is especially hot, which is all <laughs> of them, honestly. So I guess I could come on any time. Uh, we... Uh, have been putting off getting guests because we wanted to like find our voice, and I think like now that yes. we're kind of settled in, it's like okay, we got to start like talking to people about guesting on that show. Yeah. Also, ten is a, a surprisingly long show because um, mm-hmm. you know you get to a point where it's like okay, this seems like it's wrapping up, and then it's like oh right, there's just another arc after this. <laughs> yeah, thirty nine is such a weird number of episodes. I feel like most things are like twelve or twenty six, and thirty nine yeah. is like not that much longer, but it is longer. Yeah. Uh, coming as it did out of, like, the production of Sailor Moon, I feel like it definitely shows. Because mm-hmm. there's a bit where, like, you're like, oh, everyone's fought everyone, and now, every like, characters have had catharsis. And then, like, it just, like, slowly seems to start going through it again. You're like, oh, right, there's just another arc, and we're going to get deeper in on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, We're also, like, we're coming up on the end of what I've seen. Probably by the next time um, we record Aeroplane, I will have seen every episode of Utena that I'd already seen before. So like pretty soon we'll be in like unknown territory for me, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, that's great. Um, I was going to launch into the sign off. We don't have one. <laughs> Get fucked ocean waves. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Come back in three weeks. We'll be talking about Princess Monoke, which is the movie everyone knows. And we don't like, but I hope one of us likes it now. I would really like to just come in here and not just shit all over the movie everyone likes. Mm-hmm. I don't like doing negative criticism generally. I think it, it's my worst self. Um, I'm going to give it the best chance I've got. Yeah. Um, At the very so. least, that deer is cool. Yeah. That wolf is cool. Yep. The wolf is okay. i
Can I? 